It is 2023. We are back with another episode, our first episode of the new year. We're super excited. We are in the Sunshine State today, visiting our good friends at CO2 Meter, Josh Pringle, and we're in the test lab. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> right on Oh my. That was that was unplanned right there. That was unplanned. Totally that just, exit the building. Get out. No, we're going to have to pause the podcast. No, but <laughs> you know what? I think that's what the meter needs. And the alarm needs to be in your voice. Well, and so everybody leaves. <laughs> I guess we didn't give you the memo. We're doing a voiceover of them after the podcast is done with the mics and everything. You're going to, you know, for the product. So we, we, we're coming to add value today as the producers. We're going to be. That's what we try to do, right? Oh, we're gonna, so we're gonna be, I'm we're just, gonna be the I, voice that says, "Please leave the building." I'm trying to justify the visit to these guys instead of just me wasting his time pulling his leg. <laughs> you no. Wasted all of our time. For you, like got a, five minutes you got now. a joke for us? I am no, no jokes today. No. Okay, because one of the resolutions this year was to be more funny, um, but we're just not funny guys. So it's like you know, it's well, we're hoping do, our guests are how funny. Do you, how do you talk about safety? I didn't say funny looking. Funny. No. Wow. Very, a very real serious note. You can't just note. be funny or funnier, as most people would say. We have to be more funny. Okay. okay. We're going to be funnier more than funny. everyone else because the yeah. podcast is too, just like you said, too much Too much safety talk. No, not enough. No. And guess what? CO2 meter, they are a leader in gas detection, and that is what Josh is going to talk to us about today. Uh, in fact, uh, you, you have really a lot of industries being served, and uh, it just goes back to everything we talk about on the podcast where... Um, when you talk about CO2, well, what does that have to do with me? Um, but you end up finding that a lot of different markets, a lot of different products utilize CO2 and you guys are, um, you know, in, in restaurants and, um, you know, in the biomedical space. And why don't you just talk to us a little bit about the industries you're serving and, and some of the products uh, that you offer? You know, I joke a lot of times, if you just followed the, the delivery truck around, you would figure out how many different organizations, markets, applications are being serviced. I, I think we have something around two or 3,000 registered applications for just for CO2 here uh, at CO2 Meter. Um, but like you said, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, stadiums, arenas, medical incubation, fire suppression. I mean, I could probably go on for a couple more minutes on it. Um, we're, we're extremely fortunate that a lot of these people come to us and share the work that they're doing and the research they're doing in new fields and new applications. You know, I don't think anybody really thought about CO2 and biogas until a couple of years ago, but we knew 10 years ago that people were working on these projects because colleges and universities and researchers were working on those kind of projects ahead of time. So we're very fortunate that we get sometimes get a sneak peek into what people are going to be working on, what the future looks like. Early detection, if you will. Kind of fitting. Kind of fitting. There we go. I can check that off the box. He literally didn't hear anything you said for the last minute because he was just waiting <laughs> He's to say that. to cue it up. Early detection. Oh, my god. Oh, use it finally. We really appreciate you hosting us here today. It's a beautiful new facility you guys have moved into Thank you. here. Appreciate you guys being here. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's you know, one of the reasons what we really wanted to talk to you about was, you know, there are a lot of new uses of CO2, new users of CO2, um, and and like any gas that could displace the oxygen in the air, it can be dangerous mm -hmm. if not used correctly. Uh, and and so that's what you guys provide is that safety and that security. Um, tell us about that. Like, what what do we need? What does somebody that doesn't know a whole lot about CO2 need to know about CO2? Well, we usually start with the building blocks or the basics. Um, you know, we're a very educational first organization. We're trying to educate customers first before we just try to sell them products. 
So we start with the basics, you know, when the gas is at ambient temperature, it's heavier than air, it's going to collect at the floor first. Um, you can get CO2 poisoning without being asphyxiated. Um, we, we try to start with sort of those basics so they understand while these people know what we're talking about, while they have a very great idea about the application I'm working on or the business that I'm in, then it's much easier to have a conversation for them about what they're trying to do. So, Yeah, that's what I've always kind of had it explained is CO2 is heavier than air. So it's kind of like when there is a leak or, or you know, it, it's being introduced into the environment, it's going to the floor first, like you said. It's like water. If it was just gonna, it's going to flood the floor and start working up. So by the time you actually get it while you're breathing, then, then that room is full. So yeah, we, we talk about dangerous. it. We talk about it much like that. We say, you know, CO2 is like a glass of water. You're going to fill it from the bottom up. Nitrogen, argon, helium, when we're doing oxygen deficiency or oxygen displacement, we're measuring it because it's driving. It's like filling the glass from the top down. You're driving oxygen down and out. So it's, it's difficult when you have to talk about things in those two different veins, but it's very much a part of, of what we do is making sure we identify the actual application. We're not guessing at what the right app device is or what the right device for their application is. We're actually talking specifically about what they need. Yeah, and that's super interesting because uh, I guess, you know, we frame ourselves as the experts of CO2 and thinking about the customers you're serving, their focus is not CO2. CO2 is part of their process. Yep. You know, it's, it's something that needs to um, be, you know, addressed properly to keep everyone safe, but they're not going to know the ins and outs. I think it's really cool what you guys are doing from an educational side. Why don't you talk to us about that a little bit, um, just how you are presenting yourselves uh, as, you know, kind of um, that, like, that learning um, module for customers. It is. Some people, and some people want to learn, some people want to understand, but they may not understand the specifics. They may not understand why it's important to them or their application. One of the things that's important to us is, you know, if a company says they're very safety focused or our, our employees are our, our most valuable asset, well, you better walk the walk and talk the talk. You have to be able to say we're putting the processes in place or the equipment in place to protect people. You know, here in the testing room is a prime example. We couldn't build a quality and testing lab without putting our own gas detection systems in place, without spending you know, close to a hundred grand on the, the air evacuation system in this room, you know, our owners speak very directly to how important our employees are. So even in your typical restaurant or nightclub or arena, if you, even if it's not your employee, if it's a draft service technician, if you're not doing the right thing for them, then you really can't say that you're safety focused or safety first or employee focused. Yeah. So talk about that safety side of it. You walk into a room that has displaced oxygen and it's not that co2 is bad right i mean co2 it's, is not necessarily great for you but we there's co2 in our atmosphere i think it's 0.4 percent correct like that but uh it's the displacement of oxygen that's really the problem but if you walk into a room well let me interrupt because it's actually two things jeff it's it's both the displacement of the oxygen but you could be poisoned by co2 okay, okay. without ever being asphyxiated so the the research that OSHA and NIOSH have done, and it's been backed up, is you could have almost 7% CO2 and be overcome by the CO2 without being asphyxiated. Oh, okay. You won't have the oxygen number move on an oxygen detector. You, It's possible for it not to move until you get to 7%. Wow. And you'd be out and dead at that point. Wait, I was just, so what are the, I mean, side effects 
um, long-term effects of overexposure? So long-term effects are definitely death. We don't, we do not want people to die. Um, I'm glad we got our jokes out earlier (laughs) in the podcast. (laughs) Um, we typically, as Jeff noted, we're typically talking about CO2 concentrations in normal air at around 400, 450 ppm, 0.4. Um, as we, as you approach, or you have a leak, as you approach, um, the first, the first value that anybody needs to pay attention to is 5,000 ppm instantaneous. That's the International Fire Code's first threshold for enunciation. Um, OSHA and NIOSH don't really care about CO2. Do you get a 5,000 time weighted average? That's all the measurements over an eight-hour period. We're not really talking about health effects to humans. And I'm, when I say humans, I mean adult, healthy, no chronic issues, no COPD, asthma, elderly, those kinds of things. OSHA and NIOSH are really not talking about health effects till we get to above, up above 15,000 ppm, closer to 30,000 ppm where their evacuation number is. The IDLH, independently dangerous to life, safety, and health, is not until 40,000 ppm. But we don't ever want to get there. So we want to start seeing it. We want to start looking at it. We want to start noticing if there's a change long before we get to those higher uh, elevated numbers. So that's why the International Fire Code put 5,000 in as the first number. Well, great. So let me ask you, like, the, the CGA, the Compressed Gas Association, or other regulatory um, uh, organizations, who decides or determines or, or mandates uh, the, the use of monitors, and, and what, what, what do you need? If I, who, who should be looking at utilizing monitors, and, and what other aspects do they put in use there? So, yes, we're a monitoring company, so I'm going to say this. If you've got stored gas, you should consider having a monitor. If you store more than 100 pounds of CO2, you are required by code, to put in a monitor or ventilation. And so that's what we're talking. I mean, breweries, little breweries down the street from your house, you know, the the fast food joints. I mean, anybody that is using CO2 to carbonate beverage, I mean, there's a legitimate risk. Safety precautions have to be taken, and that's what Absolutely. Yeah. So in the bulk tank world, in cylinder world, in the bulk tank world, if you have a bulk tank, you got to have a monitor. In the cylinder world, I don't want to parse it out. The 100-pound number is a pretty difficult thing to deal with. But you're typically talking about, you know, this is our standard monitor. You're typically talking about covering about 1,500 square feet per device. So a room this size, your typical bar, restaurant, 1,500 to 2,000 square feet, quick serve restaurant is going to need one device. The sensor, the main monitoring piece, goes at 12 inches off the floor because the CO2 is heavier than air. That's where it's going to collect. You want to have the proper audible and visual notifications to make sure you're warning your employees and any guests. Uh, It can include things like strobe lights or get wired to the fire panel or a shutoff valve if the jurisdiction requires that. Now, there's nothing in code today, in the fire codes or the boiler code today, that say you need to have those things. Those are all done by local jurisdictions. So we like to be very clear with people and understand what they need. What does your fire inspector ask for? We want to give you the basics of the safety system, but we don't want to overburden you or make you get something that you don't need. Hmm. So you're kind of like a walking code book. I mean, (laughs) you do a lot of working with local jurisdiction then across the country. You're probably very familiar region by region with what requirements are. Do you do a lot of pointing customers to their local jurisdiction? Because I would imagine a lot of times they're coming to you first before they go anywhere else. What, what is that relationship like? 
So we try to work very closely with the fire jurisdictions that we've been introduced to or need to introduce ourselves to. I don't want to say that we're there to smooth it over for the customer. That's not our job. Our job is to help you comply to what the local jurisdictional requirements are. But yes, we, we try to work very closely with the state fire marshal's offices, the fire marshals and inspectors associations. We're there to help educate and advise the customer on what they need to do to make sure they comply. And it's not the same. So for example, here in Florida, we use the National Fire Protection Association code. What that code says today about CO2 is, if you have a known gas, you have to monitor for it. That's pretty simple. But if we were to go to Texas, the state of Texas does not adopt a code all on its own. The state of Texas makes every one of its jurisdictions within the state adopt the code on their own. So what's happening in Dallas may not be happening in Waco or in <laughs> San Antonio. So that's one of the, one of the places where we're very unique as an, as an organization. We're helping the customer work through those subtle nuances to make sure they get what they need to comply. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pimp out the, uh, the website here and everything because I know you got a lot of educational materials out there. <laughs> we'll put that up on the screen at the end of it and uh, do all that. But let's shift gears for a second. Uh, obviously, you're, you're highly involved in all things CO2 as well as other gases. Uh, you, you're a committee member of uh, multiple committees on the CGA. Um, what do you, you know, it's a new year. What do you see? What's going on in CO2? We had, obviously, a rough year in 2023. I'm sorry, 2022. More of the same this year, shortages, contamination issues, you name it, <laughs> shutting businesses down, or do you see it loosening up? What's going on? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question, Jeff, because I'm glad that we don't have to talk about hydrogen like everybody else is talking about right now. <laughs> uh, we, we talk about hydrogen a lot, too. <laughs> um, I, so, obviously, the supply of CO2, the purity of CO2, some a lot of those things that happened in 2022 to create you know, we, we called it CO2 Armageddon. Um, those aren't our areas of expertise, but clearly we work with all the people that are producing CO2, storing, shipping, distributing, using it. So we have a very unique perspective on multiple portions of the market and how they're reacting to these things. I don't foresee that 2023 is going to be much different than 2022, except that the Jackson Dome situation seems to they've seemed to be able to repair that um, that facility to the point at which all that gas is usable again. Um, there's a lot of reasons that that's happened. A lot of time and effort has gone into making that 25% of the U.S. market come back online. Right. However, we're still going to have ammonia plants going down in the fall because nobody needs fertilizer. We're still going to have unforeseen circumstances where facilities need unforeseen maintenance. Those, those pieces of the market aren't changing. So other than the Jackson Dome coming back online and that not having problems again, I still foresee that we're going to run into the same issues in the fall, late summer, fall, that we run into year after year after year. Until, and I think we all heard this over the last six months, um, you know, we were all at the CO2 summit and heard this, is until somebody figure out, figures out how to pull CO2 out of the air very cost effectively we're not going to fix this problem well we're years away from that um, if it ever effectively and and uh yeah i mean and, and the demand as you know i'm sure you know your business has it, been growing exponentially year on year and it's because the co2 usage is going up so well the supply hasn't increased with the demand agreed and when you know when demand is outpacing supply by 2,000 or 2,500 tons a day 
you know, when you add in all the new states that have approved cannabis that are going to start to use more CO2, when you start to use, uh, put in all the factors from the changes in uh, food storage, freezing, uh, you know, food shipping from the gas usage, you're only piling these situations on top of each other without any resolution. Yeah. Talk, talk about that really quick, shift backwards again, but that's a, it's a market dynamic. The, the cannabis industry, not just the extraction, but even more importantly, the grow, the grow house industry, mm -hmm. the, as, as more and more states come on, I mean, is that a big part of your business these days? It's because I mean, they have, they, you are filling rooms with CO2. Intentionally. To, to increase your yield output of that growth. What do you guys provide there? Is that not just monitoring, but there's controls in the in the room. There's all sorts of other necessary uh, items, I would imagine. Yeah, so we sort of, we're a little unique. We fall in sort of two categories in this area. One, obviously, is the safety side. Um, we're helping to make sure that the average facility or commercial facility is up to speed and meeting code regulations from a safety standpoint. Still the same monitor we talked about previously or others that we've got. There is a flip side to that coin, which is the control aspect. So their users needing to control the amount of CO2 that is in that grow space. They want it to regulate it somewhere between 800 and 1500 PPM at any one time, depending on the special sauce of the grower. Right. Um, so we do provide devices in that control world. Now, we're very clear because it's been made very clear to us from a regulatory standpoint that your control mechanism and your safety mechanism cannot be the same. Mm -hmm. They must be independent devices so that you have redundancy in the system. The fire inspectors do not want your grow controller to also be your safety monitor. They want them independent of each other. They need to be independent of each other. Yeah. And I think that's uh, one of the things, you know, one of the groups we're really talking to in this particular episode is, is that because they are so new. I mean, a lot of these grow houses are new and up and coming. Yep. They're expanding and they're using CO2 perhaps for the first time for a lot of them. So one of the things that helps us is that in that grow world, much like the craft brew world over the last 20 years is, you know, Joe might grow up and he's the assistant brewer in Sam's brewery. Joe moves on, opens his own brewery. He's carrying a lot of those same principles and practices with him yep. from one to the other. So we're very fortunate that as this market, especially the cannabis market and the brewery market, continues to expand, we're seeing people move from facility to facility or from organization to organization. They're saying very specifically, like, I use CO2 meter products in my last facility. I want to use them in my new facility, too. That certainly helps. Well, and, you know, you're seeing this in real time. I think we kind of get a delayed look in because the permitting required, the way I understand it, you described it earlier, uh, takes a lot of time and so they're setting up their facility they're working with you far in advance of it necessarily I, even being I, legalized I actually wish that was the case <laughs> in in a lot of cases we always joke about it here hey I got one more thing hey the fire inspector asked me to put in a safety monitor we never specced this in hmm. we're very fortunate in the restaurant world to have partners like Chipotle and Panda and Wendy's and others where our device, the specific part number, is specced in for any new new facilities. But with a lot of these newer facilities, especially in the cannabis world, it's the inspector saying at the last minute, I can't give you your certificate of occupancy until you put in a monitor. So we are a little bit behind the eight ball on that. But because of the turnkey nature of the devices we offer, because we offer that support and service to help them get up to speed, because we're going to design the facility for them, we can 
almost do this in a 24-hour period and get them up and running. That's good. Well, great. So, so plug the website. Where can we learn more? Where can we get this? If you're you're an end user and you want to buy direct, you need e-commerce sites. Where can we find you? Uh, www.co2meter.com is not only the e-commerce site; it's also the platform for all the articles, all the information, all the videos. There's no garden wall. There's no uh, pay-to-play. Everything's available for the end user to use it. Um, we always say, you know, your first stop should be. Your gas distributor they're going to be able to help you the best um, but if you need us we're here to help no thank you so much it's it's really awesome to have somebody take information that's foreign be able to break it down make it easy to understand easy to digest um, especially once again for people that aren't living in co2 every day so appreciate that you guys are doing this uh, of course safety is always first and while we talk about the supply of co2 and the importance of co2 we do also want to understand uh, everything that goes into it to make sure that people aren't hurt and that it's used. Uh, I, I appreciate you guys talking about it today. It's I, it's important for everybody. And my biggest takeaway is that uh, when we have another CO2 shortage this year, it's because of beer and cannabis. <laughs> Dude. <laughs>